This is a Morley Radio podcast. Welcome to Series 2 of the London Hat Week podcast and a big thank you to Morley Radio for producing and making this possible. I'm Becky Weaver, co-founder of London Hat Week and editor-in-chief of Hat Talk e-magazine. And I'm Georgina Abbott, co-founder of London Hat Week and owner of Atelier Millinery, a headwear business based in London. For this episode, I have the pleasure of being in the Morley Radio studio, along with our guest. Um, We should point out that Becky is in her own office and recording remotely, so apologies as usual for any sound glitches. this episode we are thrilled to be joined by Rachel Richardson. London Hat Week is always keen to celebrate all aspects of the industry and Rachel is a great ambassador for millinery as well as using her millinery toolkit in a very unusual way. We first saw Rachel's work back in 2009 when she won the Hat Designer of the Year award. Many of you may be familiar with her beautiful design sketches in the inspiration pages of the Hat magazine. Rachel is multi-talented and hats are not the only outlet for her design ideas. We followed her work over time and Rachel was part of the panel on the first online talk that we hosted in collaboration with the British Hat Guild. We invited Rachel also to teach a masterclass for us at the last London Hat Week, which was when we got to witness firsthand her expertise with a sketchpad. So Rachel, welcome and thank you so much for taking part in the London Hat Week podcast series. Thank you for having me. That's such a lovely intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Rachel, first of all, how, how would you describe yourself uh, professionally? Artist, designer, milliner, illustrator, all of the above? Um, I think predominantly I would use the word designer for sure because mm-hmm. it covers multiple disciplines and allows me to continually change <laughs> what I do doesn't yeah. box me in too much so I definitely think designer is the one that that fits best for sure that's a good one and um and so how did you get started we were before we came in here we were talking about short yeah. courses um well so I did a I did a fine art degree at Chelsea College of Art and I, I did sculpture and I finished that and decided that I definitely didn't want to be a fine artist I definitely wanted to do something different um, so I sort of faffed around a bit, decided maybe that I wanted to be an art teacher. I was uh, on track for doing a PGCE. And then I started a short course at Kensington and Chelsea mm-hmm. and did a City and Guilds millinery evening course, which then changed everything right. and meant that the next year after I'd completed that, I did an HNC in millinery mm-hmm. uh, under Kirsten Scott at, at Kensington and Chelsea. And so that sort of started the millinery uh, path um, and then during that course during the city and guilds uh, there was a supplier that no longer exists anymore but a supplier of accessories to the high street who came mm. in interviewed a few of us um, and then ultimately picked two students one of which I was to go out to China for two weeks and uh, then also work in their office in Luton for two weeks so suddenly that yeah. <laughs> I was doing that. Oh and, my goodness. And that's how literally how my career started. I I did not know what an accessories designer was. I had no <laughs> idea that buyers existed. I did not know that world at all. And suddenly I was very much in it. Um because after those those sort of four four weeks, I was then offered a job and 
Yeah, that's how it started. Gosh, that's fantastic. That must have been such a surprise to find yourself <laughs> yeah, in <it> China. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, I hadn't taken a year out. I hadn't travelled. Mm. Um, so, yeah, suddenly going to a place so far away, so different mm. um, and so unexpectedly yeah. <laughs> for work. So seeing a completely different side to if you're going as a tourist, of course, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was mind blowing essentially. Oh, okay. So whereabouts was it the, the first time? So uh, the first time I went, we just went to one factory because it was uh, I was basically employed to do um, formal hats. Mm. So they did do cuff and sew, and they did scarves, and they did all of that. But uh, I was mainly employed to do formal hats. So it was with one factory, and the factory was uh, a few hours outside of Hong Kong. So we flew into mm. Hong Kong. I think maybe had a day in Hong Kong, and then literally I spent two weeks. In one factory, in one place, <laughs> going into the showroom every day and and making things. And in hindsight, it was two weeks of making the most uncommercial hats that like <laughs> <laughs> didn't really. I think maybe actually, I think maybe Jigsaw bought one of the hats that I made that yeah. within those two weeks. But um, considering now the sort of the amount yes. that I would churn out to the amount that I did then is <laughs> yeah, is very different. Wow. So, yeah, that's how I started. Gosh, what a, a fantastic thing for them to do, though, to support the, the yeah, course in that way. Absolutely. And I, w- I was the first, but I wasn't the last. I think there were maybe two or three um, sort of students taken from Kensington Chelsea after me, one of who I am, remain amazing friends with to this day, who did this, that sort of same process and still works in the industry like me. Yeah. I actually remember um, some people coming into the shop years ago and talking about that. Um, so ah. that suddenly, suddenly rang a bell. But that's amazing. And yeah. So now, um, how does it work? When you are you still doing that now? So essentially, yeah, I'm still doing that. So I, I, where I started just in formal hats, I've then over the years taken on sort of all types of product areas that come underneath a soft accessories designer. So that includes hats of all kinds, formal hats, uh, cut and sew hats, knitted hats, and then scarves, gloves, leather gloves, mm-hmm. sort of everything that, that comes under that. Um, and then also through the years, I've worked for lots of different people. So the first, that first job was a supplier. So we would sell uh, the product that we had designed into different high street retailers. Mm. So all the biggies like M&S and Next and then the younger customers like Topshop and all of that. And then, um, but since then, I've worked for retailers specifically. So like Accessorize, mm. um, Esprit, F&F, um, and then other suppliers that have did the same thing as I did in my in my first job. And now currently, partly because of COVID, uh, I am freelance. So I tout myself all around and work for anyone <laughs> that will pay me. <laughs> <laughs> so how different is it um do so I imagine you've been doing this remotely yes so how different is that uh actually in- incredibly different it's I think the transition was easier than maybe I would have thought mm. um if I had just sat down and someone had said right you need to now stop working in an office you need to only work at home you cannot travel to China mm. um actually the transition was easier than I think I would have thought it was but it's definitely a huge change so previously I would be pretty much whoever I would be working for I would be going out to China at least twice a year um I would be going to markets in China I would be like um yeah really sort of involved in that process with them Mm. obviously no travel 
no offices. So mm-hmm. I have been um, I've been working from my garden shed <laughs> with no samples. So I really don't think wow. until you know the last couple of months I've actually seen a sample in real life, and everything I have designed has been. Uh, computer-based, so CAD designs, whereas previously I would have hand-drawn mm. things or I would have been a bit more scrappy with, with how I designed. It was a bit more instant. Mm. Now everything is very much signed off from a computer de- drawing right. and then um, and then it goes from there. So, yeah, it's, it, it's very different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So wh- where does it start with the brief from the client? What do you usually get? Um, so normally it starts, I guess, before the brief from the client. So um, whether I'm working for a retailer, working for as a freelancer as I am now or working for a supplier, I would also always start off with the trends for the season, colours, uh, key items or shapes or things that are coming through from you know, the catwalk or various inspirational places. And that, that would be the first start. So I would always have something that is mine that I I am in control of and the trends that I see Um, and then uh, if I'm working for a supplier we then receive trends from um, the customers so retailers and then you design into into their specific trends so they might say we've had this amazing hat from last year and we really want to update it and we need to Mm. basically cover off the money that it's got us this year Um, so then it would be a case of updating things that had done very well um, and also injecting new fashionability and and Mm. excitement into into that range Um, so yeah so it generally starts off with their trends or my trends a collaboration of both um, and then a sort of a range plan of what they were looking for, mm. which then I would design into and send them a selection uh, of choices, which they would then proceed to pick from. Yeah. Well, so when you're um, giving the input in terms of the trends, where are you picking that up from? So it's it's one of those things that actually, especially in these times where fashion is becoming less fast, I think, because mainly because retailers are slightly wary, you know, sales are mm. down, the world is a different place to what it was. Um, trends, are, trends are a lot slower. So they're sort of updated or just a sort of a, a movement on from last year. Mm. So actually, the, it's, not, it's not a groundbreaking um, process. It's sort of a continual okay. sort of flow. Um, and then I think it's just from, you know, colours... Colours can be influenced by so many things. So homeware has like a, mm. a, an influence on that. You've got all the catwalk shows, which you pull down from. So say out of the catwalks might come the most amazing check that then mm. sort of influences so many different product mm. areas or, or colours. Or, so it's, it's varying varying degrees of, of influence from, from different places mm. and, and a sort of gathering of information. Yeah. So a lot of research, really. So, yeah, quite a lot. Be- yeah, absolutely, quite yeah. a lot of research. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What kind of time scale are you normally given with um Like the shortest clients? possible. Really? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, so I guess for trends... It depends. Uh, you can. I mean, the earlier you start, the less information there is available mm. because you're starting pre catwalks or you're starting pre 
uh, the season where, you know, you, you can still gather quite a lot of information from things that are already in stores. So designers will launch their autumn winter collections and you'll sort of take inspiration from that for retail, sort of high street retailers mm. next uh, next season. So the earlier you start, the less information you have. So it is always quite compact right. because you're always yeah. restrained by yeah. by those kind of things. Have the, has that changed with COVID as well as far as global supply chains are just not yeah. what they were? So, like, are they physically not able to get things made and to another yeah. country as quickly as it used to be? Absolutely. As- Absolutely. There is, I think there are so many challenges now with yeah. COVID. One, that lots of retailers still have stock from pre-COVID. Mm. Um, so they they still got all of this product that they need to to sell and um so that also does that also means that the trends quite aren't as quick as i said before mm-hmm. because they're still sort of have to link in and make everything tie up what they previously had um and yeah and then obviously china's suffered quite badly with covid mm-hmm. and that's where all the production is um and so yes traveling moving things around uh, cost of materials, mm. all, all of that sort of plays into the mix and and makes things trickier for sure. That's interesting. And then, so if, if most of the production is happening in China, where where is the sourcing? So for the materials and the trimmings. <clears throat> so essentially, at this moment, we have to we're relying quite a lot on China to do the sourcing. Right. Um, but I think that uh, quite a lot of the markets aren't quite reopened at the mm. moment. So it's a lot to do with we want something like this. Mm. Is it possible to find something like this? And I think because we're not travelling as designers um, and sourcing ourselves, mm. it's always a little bit more hit and miss into what mm. what's you get and what is available. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that has def- that's become mm. trickier. For sure. So in the old days, (laughs) would you have gone (laughs) when you were in China, you would have been in the factory working there. But would you have got to go out as well, sourcing the materials? Yeah, absolutely. They have huge, huge markets, fabric markets and trim markets. So we would have spent, you know, two days uh, doing the rounds of those and selecting bits of trims and and fabrications and then using them directly within my designs Mm. within the factory so everything was very much you know tied up and very specific whereas now it's a bit more open to interpretation and and a a bit more liable to change during the the sort of design and therefore like making the sample process Right. Mm. And when you talk about going out to markets, I, I'm thinking, do you mean something like a kind of trade fair that we might be used to? or kind, Yes, yeah. kind of. The big ones are a bit like the most enormous shopping centre you've right. ever seen with <laughs> floors and floors of sort of very mini booths mm. of, uh, of businesses selling very particular things. So specifically jersey or specifically mm. checks or specifically buttons um oh, so yeah amazing. it's it's it is quite incredible like especially i think the first time i went <laughs> i think i came back <laughs> with a whole suitcase full of <laughs> random buttons and, <laughs> and things that, that i had picked up <laughs> yeah. so yeah. i suppose saying that you've kept up your own hat design business as well to some extent so uh for when I did hat designer of the year 
uh, that was partly because the supplier that I had got my first job in uh, in 2008 with the recession it went into administration so I lost my job and I went freelance for mm. I maybe like eight months a year and within that time the uh, hat designer of the year competition had started so I was like well I've got time mm. I can I can do this so um, that's partly how I or how I came to to enter that um, and then from there I did I had my millinery business for um for a certain amount of time uh, and then I think I fell back into full-time employment mm. and so it just trying to juggle everything meant that I stuck with full-time employment over my own brand and occasionally I would do bits and pieces but mm. I think after quite a few years that have passed <laughs> since then <laughs> I uh it's maybe dwindled slightly so I make a few pieces here and there but um I rarely actually make my own hats mm. these days um just purely based on time and yeah. and priorities yeah, I mean, I, I, need a wedi- I need weddings to go to as well. That's yeah. the other thing that's lacking in my life at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what, what is your label when you, make, when you do make? I think I was just, I think I was just Rachel Richardson. Yeah. Like, keep it really simple. Yeah. <laughs> I maybe put London on the bottom of it to make it look a bit jazzy and sazzy, but, like, yeah, it was, it was just my name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So could you tell us a bit more about the the difference how it's how is it different um in terms of the large scale production what kind of um scale are we talking about like how many would they make of each design Oh that's interesting because it it does it varies massively between retailers so you have some retailers that would do uh 20,000 pieces wow, that many. of of uh, one product whereas you would have another doing 500 so okay. it it varies massively, and it varies on the type of product mm-hmm. uh, and the and the retailer, and then also the restrictions that the materials have. So, I think it's it's pretty standard that an order from a retailer under five hundred pieces is is not is not viable, mm. partly because of the uh, minimum order quantities of fabrics and trims mm. and all of that kind of thing. Uh, and then partly because it, of the production space within factories, mm. which needs to be booked out and the amount of people that it takes to, you know, make something. So that all sort of has to be organised. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare to have something under 500 pieces. Mm. But, and, and it's also quite rare to have something, you know, over maybe, I don't know, 8,000. Sort of yeah. in, somewhere in the middle is, is, the, is the norm. Wow, yeah, that's such a lot. And do you see any of the production sort of moving elsewhere, or is it is it still very much based in China? It's really interesting. I was listening actually to Radio Four today. I can't remember oh, yeah. what program it was, but while I was driving, and they were talking about the sort of sustainability of cotton, mm. and there is a massive movement from the retailers and from some people in China to get mm. the sustainability there and to really focus on that mm. and. And it's a very complex and difficult sort of topic. And sometimes factories aren't quite willing because mm. it depends how many of their customers are asking for that to how valuable it seems to them. And um, But I think that there, there has to be other avenues of mm. sourcing other, other sort of 
I don't know, variations of 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 uh, fabrications mm. and things that need to come in, which I would imagine can't mm. all be China. So there, there, I think there will be a shift somewhere along the line, mm. but I'm not sure where because it, it. I mean, China factories make so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got all the skill and expertise Absolutely. out there now, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. and the and the and the space. Mm. So it's a, it's really interesting and yeah, quite a difficult, mm. complex topic, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when so, given that there are thousands of hats being produced uh, from your designs, do you ever see them out and about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, particularly the last retailer I worked for pre-COVID mm. was Debenhams, and so I was uh, my responsibility. A part of my responsibility with them was to design all of their formal hat range, which was one of the biggest on the high street mm. in terms of that wow. sort of level of, of retailer. Mm. So every year we would go to Ascot uh, on a work trip yeah. and uh, oh, research. Hard work. Oh, really hard work. <laughs> there was no champagne drunk at any moment in any of those outings. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and that was really interesting in seeing so many people wearing things that I had designed and really like really amazing how you you know I would design a range and then I mean I guess every every designer gets this right you design a range you have this really strong vision of what you want it to be how you want the collection to look together and then you see someone and they've put it together in exactly the way that you wanted and you're like oh wow wow, this is so exciting (laughs) I thought you might say they had it on backwards oh I mean that that also (laughs) happens we don't dwell on that yeah and you're just like oh I don't know whether to tell them or not like all the elastics underneath the chin oh don't (laughs) like oh I don't know if I should say <laughs> so, I mean, I'm getting just getting my head around the design process. So you're sketching or now catting, however you would do that, um, the design. And then what about like different sizing and, and you know, the actual dimensions of do, do, do they take that over in the factory then like from your design or do you have to, you know, pretty much if it's out? if it's there are some measurements that that I can. Uh, dictate because it's part of the design when it comes to sizing and things like that then it's more of a technical uh, Mm. issue so that is that's a whole nother job Mm. spec Mm -hmm. that then sizes or Uh, you know has control of of Mm. of that aspect Mm. of things and uh, I'm stay stay well away from that (laughs) that's not my job (laughs) that's way too that's way too measurement (laughs) and technical all I do is the the pretty stuff and that yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so if something needs to be sized mm. that's that's somebody that is literally somebody else's responsibility oh. that's a whole nother jobs job uh yeah job wow. spec yeah yeah so so what sort of trends do you think we're going to be seeing in the <laughs> year ahead you could say anything we'll believe you <laughs> <laughs> okay so well at the moment there's there's still uh it's all about the beanies, so it's still, still beanies, yeah. yeah, and still beanies with pom poms. I thought we may have had moved away from that and mm. got a bit more, you know, sleek and <laughs> refined. But no, still quite chunky. Okay, sort of. There's still that craft element yeah. um, mm. going on, and that the the sort of biggest thing that I think I'm seeing is is a very it's the sort of the white slub knit stitch with a sort of black fleck or the other way around is that right. sort of craft 
sort of bohemian style. That's that seems to be coming my way in terms of requests from Mm. a number of different people. So yeah. Yeah. It's hard to remember what the trends are. I, I did them so long yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> and also, therefore, so far away. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I work a year in advance. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, we're just in the middle of autumn, winter 22. So, um, yeah, for this autumn, winter, I couldn't tell you because it, I, I did it last year and I've absolutely yeah. forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that must be so confusing. You forget what time of year it actually is. Absolutely. Or what date it is. As soon as it changes, the so, you know, we get into January, I'm like, I'm now so, I feel like I've been writing this date for a whole year already. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Wow. And that was always the case. That's not just now. That's no, no, no. That's always. how it has to be. Yeah. yeah. Always, always the case. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. is there any signs of um, travel starting up again for you? Yeah. Uh, in ter- I'm now going to meetings, mm. like UK meetings, um, which, you know, hasn't happened for mm. ages. Mm. In terms of travelling outside of the UK, in terms of travelling to China, I don't think that's going to happen for a, a good while. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would lo- really like to personally go on holiday before <laughs> I start travelling for work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a very selfish yeah, <laughs> way. Uh, I understand that one. So I think it is, it's still going to be, it's still going to be a little while. I think maybe not until next year mm. it might start yeah. up a little bit again but yeah at the moment it's still very much sort of home based yeah do you look forward to getting back to how it was or you think it could be a good mix to keep working from home sometimes and you know well because um, I'm now freelance working from home is I mean there's yeah that's it I, that's that's yeah. the office mm. um yeah. <clears throat> I would I do miss going to China for from a work perspective mm in terms of the ease and the control that I can I can have on on what I design um and the inspiration from the markets and things like mm. that I, I do definitely miss that element of it so absolutely when it's you know all safe and everything is is well then yeah I do actually look forward to to going mm. and having that relationship with the people that I work mm. with out there because I obviously haven't yeah. seen them for such a long time. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I do miss that. Yeah. Mm. And do you think the CAD side of things are here, is here to stay for Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it is so interesting. When I first started freelancing uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was so opposed to doing computer mm. CADs because they never look exactly as the sample Mm. and it's always a bit misleading and you're basing something that could be you know a happy accident could occur and it Mm. could be the most amazing thing but you're never going to get that if you're copying exactly Mm. a CAD um and so I had but because it was all all uh, very much online and and CAD based I actually had to teach myself how to CAD better at the beginning of this year because I've always been so resistant to Mm. it and much preferred hand drawing over computer mm. drawing um that yeah that was a bit of a learning curve at the beginning a sort of two-week crash course <laughs> on teaching yeah. myself how to <laughs> how to cat properly <laughs> which I should have done for like my entire career but managed to avoid it so um yeah I, I think that is definitely mm. here to stay I think that's customers yeah. retailers like receiving those mm. cads and being able to use them as a as a visual representation of what they might get mm. 
Well, that's that's interesting. That brings us on very nicely to something else we wanted to talk to you about. Because <laughs> visual representation, it is so hard to explain to clients what what you've designed or what you're planning or try to get their ideas down for them. And and we've been working with you on this yeah. um, online product. So we've recently worked on a collaboration to produce some online classes with Rachel um, through London Hat Week. There are two versions of this course, the full version and with all the modules and a shorter one for people who want to have a quick taster session first. Both of them start with your trademark method of drawing heads in a variety of angles. Um, and then one of them has some hat shapes like trilby, um, wide brim, cloche, and, and the other one focuses on heads and fascinators. And um, when you taught at London Hat Week last year, you said that you tested it out yeah. on your method. You tested your method out on some of your friends. So yeah. can you tell <laughs> us how that went? <laughs> it was so interesting because quite a lot of my friends are creative. I tested it out on my sister as well, who's an upholsterer. She mm. did fine art. So she sort of had a very similar path to me, but mm. instead of millinery, upholstery. Um, and... Yeah, it was so interesting because I just thought that they'd be able to bash out a picture of a, you know, yeah. sketch of a hat without <laughs> any trouble. And what I thought was was the most interesting after getting a, like various different people to do it is that their style shone through. Right. However I taught or the, the steps that I taught, mm. it would always look like their sketch. Wow. So I think then when I was planning for teaching at London Hat Week, mm. um, that was very much in my mind in that I can teach these various steps, but it will always look like it all and it always should look like you've drawn it mm. and your yeah. style comes through. Right. Which I think is then led me to be quite severely step led mm. in how I set it out because then you can change it or you can alter it or in it and it's never it never should look exactly like mine. It should no. always look like Yours. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. really interesting because actually that was something that we were concerned about, wasn't it? We thought oh, we don't yeah. want to create thousands of people who were all drawing exactly like your yeah. <laughs> drawings because that, you know, that's really ruining it for you. <laughs> but so it's interesting. It's still yeah. you still bring your own flavour to it. Yeah, and I think that I think that it's impossible not to. Mm. I, I think the more formulaic something is actually maybe the more you're able to mm. bend it and realise mm. that you've done technically you've done it correctly yeah. so therefore you can add in your your sort of yeah. handwriting to it yeah. yeah more like a framework yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah and um I, I know I'm biased because <laughs> we're working on it with you but I have tried it and how did you find uh, it yeah and it does work so yeah <laughs> good <laughs> I've seen it working so I knew it worked but somehow I still needed to prove it to myself and um I mean I've tried for years to draw um and failed dismally <laughs> and obviously I need more practice but it definitely it's definitely helped yeah, that's amazing yeah. that's really good to hear yeah it really has it's so something about the direction um and the way that you do it is is lovely because you leave all the you leave a lot of the workings mm. in there um so you can kind of see the root of it it it, it it just really it's it makes it simpler makes it yeah. less scary <laughs> I, I think I also really enjoy learning in terms of knowing why something is happening mm. so you know you do one thing and then you realize that that thing then leads on to something else mm. and 
I really enjoy with the guidelines mm. and leaving all your marks in that they actually they help you later. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and you've got all these sort of this background noise helping you yeah. and making yeah. things easier. So I I I enjoy learning that way anyway and then mm. I think it yeah, it definitely helps when sketching. Yeah. It does. And then having seen you do it as well. So we you know, you were teaching live um, last year as yeah. well as we had some pre-recording but it was just really interesting um, you could see kind of light bulb moments for people and and you were helping almost to free them up like not to be so <laughs> precious about this one particular thing yeah. they're working on and you were just sketching away and getting yeah. through reams of paper <laughs> making a massive mess <laughs> no, but it's great because it's so that's the whole point isn't it you've got to keep yeah, doing it absolutely yeah. and it can never be wrong you know mm, if you can yeah. If you've drawn something and it's maybe a bit squiffy in one part and a bit wonky in another, mm. it's still going to describe something, even if it's only to yourself and mm. a reminder of the, a thought you were having. Yeah. Um, even if it's not sort of legible by somebody mm. else, yeah. um, then yeah. it serves a purpose. Mm. So I think that it's it's that feeling of it can never be wrong. Mm. There are no mistakes. And if you practice, you know, your, your vision in your head will be clearer on the paper as, as yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. But it's such a helpful thing to be able to do, though, especially if you're you're working on private commissions, um, because it's not like you have an example you can show yeah. somebody. Um, or you may have something similar, but if you're trying to explain um, a completely new design, yeah. not everybody can imagine it. Yeah. So... I, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, it feels really nice to help. Mm. give tools in that way although my favorite question at london hat week yeah. was someone <laughs> asked me how to annotate velvet oh yes and i drew an arrow <laughs> and wrote velvet <laughs> because sometimes that also has to happen sometimes yeah. Yeah. you know that will do <laughs> i remember that and that was just it was classic <laughs> So what would you say, what kind of advice would you give um, to somebody who wants to start drawing? Maybe they they haven't had any any artistic training at all before. Um, obviously, my, my lesson. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Might be helpful. Uh, <laughs> I think just give it a go. I think that it's, it's finding a style you like, mm. you feel comfortable with, and you can... Uh, progress with you know it doesn't it, it's you're never going to the first thing you draw is never going to be the most perfect thing it is about repetition and practice and mm. and uh confidence which or which practice mm. will will give you so I think it's just starting is mm. is the big thing it's that feeling of not that you can't do it in that well you can do it and what's yeah. the harm in trying you might as well start yeah so I think that's that's the biggest hurdle isn't it is the is the mm. getting on with it yeah, yeah, that's that's really good advice. What do you recommend in terms of drawing materials um, and maybe where to get them in different countries? We know we have a very international audience. Oh, my drawing materials aren't actually that extensive. Mm. I I really like drawing with a biro, which yeah. is <laughs> so rubbish, isn't it? Um, so I I mean, I again, I think it's what you feel comfortable with. Mm. I do I do also quite like drawing with coloured pencils and mm. layering. Um, and adding that sort of like pop of colour to things, um, but mainly it's 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 different widths of black fine liners, mm. which you can buy in like anywhere. It doesn't yeah. even have to be an art shop. Um, 
And then, yeah, with the pop of colours of coloured pencils, felt tips. I quite like using the like graphic pens um, mm. because they're not solid colour and you can lay on shadows. Right. Um, and... Yeah, I think I think it is what you, what you're comfortable with, and I think if you if you're not entirely sure mm. if if someone hasn't got quite an idea of what they would like to draw with, then I mean, if you've got a biro or you've got something that you know you can just mm. start. There's nothing to stop you from starting mm. with that, and there's nothing wrong with starting with that. Mm. So I think if yeah, it, it's it's how fancy you want to take it. But I really, I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that fancy. <laughs> <laughs> turns out in quite a lot of areas of my life I am not that fancy yeah so I would I would say just start and 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 you know an experimental phase is maybe yeah will dictate what what you like using yeah that's really interesting as not an artist and thinking I probably you know haven't really ever thought I could draw when I'm gonna do your course and find out (laughs) if that's true I believe I have hope now but like the fact that you're saying biro is so interesting especially because you were saying there isn't anything wrong because I would think you have to have a pencil you have to be able to rub out you know like you're going to make a mistake but I love that that's that permission to just you know leave what you do and build on that absolutely because I think with the biro you can still draw softly and you can still draw Mm. hard it's 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 not as restrictive as you think it is and if you know I'm saying you leave in all your guidelines because they help you so therefore Mm. each mark you make is important Mm. and is helpful so you shouldn't necessarily need to rub it out especially if you're practicing it's Mm. only sort of when you want to create a final and very finished piece that Mm. that you then might need to remove lines and things like that so initially I would say Mm. start with with whatever you can get your hands on and and whatever makes you feel comfortable well that's great then because that's totally affordable for everybody isn't it you haven't got to buy any um, expensive equipment just some paper and a pen yeah yeah. <laughs> and then build it up from there. Yeah. Oh, damn, we haven't got an excuse to go out <laughs> and buy loads of new stationery. <laughs> well, I feel like we've covered an awful lot um, with you, Rachel. Thank you so much. You're more than um, welcome. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's great it's really interesting learning about the process um of the drawing process and also about how you design um in a completely different way um to many of the other people we've had on on the podcast series so thank you yeah i think one thing we haven't mentioned is that you also do all kinds of other stuff oh yeah in all your free time i believe you do you know home decor and and all i mean what else i mean home decor i think just makes makes it uh it is a translation of i just paint anything that is white into a color in my house <laughs> full stop the end that's yeah. that's that <laughs> and because I, I know i've seen some of your stuff on instagram as well and it's amazing so where, oh, where could you. people see that if they wanted to or where could people find out more well i guess my instagram is a is a good place to start mm, yeah uh, it would help if i could remember what it is <laughs> i think it's at number 42 shop oh at number, well, we'll put it on our own. Thank you. That yeah, would be great. Media. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Not fancy. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, and as you always. <laughs> so that was Rachel Richardson with us, Becky Weaver and Georgina Abbott of London Hat Week on Morley Radio. To find out more about London Hat Week, visit www.londonhatweek.com or follow us 
at London Hat Week on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Rachel Richardson's course is available to purchase via the London Hat Week website or you can find the link on our Instagram page. 